0: Welcome to Cloud Radio, made for full-stack cloud operators. Cloud Radio covers all aspects of the business of software. Hi, today we've got Corey Wheeler, Chief Customer Officer and Co-Founder of Zylo. Zylo is a SaaS management platform, meaning they help their customers, generally more than 500 employees and up, manage their SaaS spend, renewals, governance risk, and even negotiations. They manage about $30 billion dollars in SaaS spend annually, which means they have a lot of insights into the industry. And they recently published a great report that we'll have in the show notes uh, called the SaaS Management Index, and it gets really deep into things like utilization, benchmarks by size. So with Corey, we go deep on a number of trends in the industry, great guest, and we hope you enjoyed the show. So Corey, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: Could you give our listeners a bit of a background on you and Zylo?
1: Yeah, no problem. So I'm Corey, clearly. I'm the chief customer officer here at Xylo, responsible for all things customer related. Also one of the co-founders of the business. My background prior to Xylo, launching Xylo, was really in the practitioner space. I spent about 15 years in various finance and procurement related leadership positions, building procurement organizations. I lived the problem that Xylo solves for, which is really being able to, to manage, understand, find, uh, and optimize all of your various SaaS tools across your organization. So I experienced that back in 2012 with a high growth tech startup. And I'd come out of large consulting organizations managing software and renewals, and it was pretty straightforward. But as as high growth tech organizations started to adopt SaaS at a very rapid rate, that became an entirely new delivery mechanism and an entirely new ownership mechanism within every organization. So I experienced that. We were acquired by a very large organization, one of the leading cloud organizations in the world. And at that point, they had about 35,000 employees and I found that they were living the exact same problem that fundamentally software is now distributed across your entire organization everyone is a buyer. People, groups, organization at the organization or enterprise level, software is everywhere. And there is no Mm -hmm. centralization of it to bring that together and to be able to optimize, manage those renewals, manage all the problems that or challenges that a lot of people have with software as a service. So fast forward, 2016, had the opportunity to really jump in and begin to solve that problem based on the experiences I had had. And we haven't looked back since. So seven years into the business, really delivering the problem statement that I had back in 2012 at scale with some of the largest organizations in the world uh, has been incredibly rewarding. So quite a fun time.
0: And what's the ideal customer profile of Xylo? Like who do you typically work with?
1: Yeah, the reality is that Every single organization in the world is facing the exact same problem that we solve for software being purchased in every variety of way across every purchasing mechanism across every single team and individual in the, in the company. So what we have customers as, as small as, you know, 500 employees, 400 employees, all the way up to some of the largest enterprises in the world, 70, 80,000 employees. So from a company perspective, this problem, it's a fun problem to articulate somebody because they understand it right away. Every organization has this challenge. Now, within those organizations, we definitely work with IT, enterprise architecture, you know, security teams. We then partner with finance and procurement. Because what we have found is the best strategy for wrangling this very distributed category is a dual strategy where IT is owning the strategy, the help desk, the operations of software, and finance and procurement are owning the renewals, the management of the cost, the budgeting. And so when you bring both of those dynamics together, you're really solving the problem at scale. And then as we go up to the largest enterprise segment we have software asset management teams today that are fully dedicated to managing software and they're looking for that mechanism to get their arms around cloud and SaaS because traditionally they've been you know really aimed around on-prem deployments and audits and things like that so it and finance software asset management are the personas we work with in really any size organization
0: okay it's interesting so like and For people listening, you guys, the cutoff might be about 500 employees and then up?
1: Yeah, around there. We've definitely got a few very progressive companies under under 500 employees, but that's about the point where companies are realizing the problem at scale and need a solution to solve for it.
0: For sure. And some of this episode came about, I had seen your 2023 SaaS management index and for the people listening, it covers things like utilization rates, benchmarks of spend by company, whole range of things. And it was quite interesting, particularly kind of in the 2023 environment where SaaS is no longer just going straight up and people have to think about yeah. license optimization, net revenue retention rates, whole range of people really paying attention to this. And there were some really interesting and novel data, at least to me, about utilization, a few other topics like that in the report. So that's a long way of setting you up to talk about that report.
1: Yes. So this is our SaaS Management Index. We bring this forward every year. You know, we've got the largest segment of this data in the market. So today we're managing over $30 billion in SaaS across our customer base. This is six to seven years of aggregating this data together. Over 30 million licenses that are under management today. And we manage uh, our internal Zybrary, our catalog of, of SaaS applications that is now over 19,000 applications in internally. So what we do on an annual basis is synthesize that data to give the macro and some micro uh, indicators in the market that we see around SaaS. We usually pull that together with, you know, analyst data from Gartner and others. And then we compare that to what we've seen over hundreds and hundreds of commercial mid-market and enterprise customers to be able to synthesize and deliver out what's happening and where is SaaS going today.
0: And we've kind of entered a point where we're seeing some cuts actually in SaaS spend. You note that in your report. I just did some research and work with Brex that kind of across the board for early stage companies, uh, which might be smaller than your index, seeing two, seven, eight, nine percent declines in Q1 2023. So do you have any commentary on how this has shifted, some marketplace dynamics you're seeing through your platform?
1: yeah absolutely you're dead on accurate so this is the very first year since 2016 when we started aggregating this data that we've seen the cohort that we manage shrink in overall size of spend and number of applications so this year the average company that we see has about 50 million in cloud and SaaS spend. that's across 292 apps on average and that is down. So that's down from a spend perspective, 10% year over year. And then from an application perspective, number of apps, that's down 4% year over year. So I would typically say, you know, looking at some of those Brex data with companies that are a little more on the commercial side or the smaller side, they're getting hammered right now. You know, they're in various stages of raising capital and proving out revenue and continuing to really beat that drum. But we're seeing that shrinking of tech spend happening across all segments, every organization is looking at OPEX reductions right now. And this is highlighted you know, by the fact that the average employee, based on our data, costs about $4,600 in that tech uplift. You now, that's something that a lot of finance teams are asking us for. What do we plan for? We're constantly going over budget on the cost of employees. Well, $4,600 is the number that should be applied there. It's a very large component of overall labor costs. But yes, everything is coming down for the very first time. And that's reflective of of budget cuts, budget freezes, headcount, a lot of rifts across the tech segment specifically, but we're starting to see some reductions in force across some other industries as well. So that follows both kind of the macro level of spend coming down and headcount freezes and things like that. I would say probably there's a component of that number as well, and this is certainly not self-serving, but you know the customer segment that we look at, those are customers actively looking to optimize their entire environment they were given a task to reduce costs. They've got to bring OPEX down. OPEX is more controllable than CAPEX. And so a a lot of our customers are really focusing on this in earnest. So yes, typically over the last five years, we've seen that grow, but we're seeing a big decline this year as well. And
0: I might not articulate this question well, but when you dive even deeper into that, is it rooting out waste? Like some example where you bought 1,200 Zoom seats and you know in the at COVID and now things have tightened and you're realizing, look, 500 of them just never get used. We're cutting those or are they a more nuanced, diving deeper, removing an app that's not just waste?
1: it's both and i always hate giving that kind of a, a wishy-washy response however we've seen a lot of reductions in force you know highlighted by you know the, some of the the largest companies in the world salesforce going through a couple of reductions operating margins are their target so there is a big segment of vacated licenses and pulling back licenses that aren't being leveraged that's going on so every renewal our customers are looking to pull that number down usually the the typical reduction in licensing is at least 10% but we're seeing no numbers much larger than that based on company reductions in force and a renewed focus on, hey, if a a license isn't being leveraged, let's pull it back and redeploy it or bring our overall cost down. However, I think just as much of this reduction is on app consolidation. You know, when I talk to a CIO for the very first time, usually one of the first words out of her or his mouth is, we've got sprawl. It's the wild, wild west. There's apps everywhere. We know we have 15 different project management tools. We went live at Zylo with a customer, an enterprise customer that had 49 project management tools that were actively being leveraged across the company. Not like onesie, twosie types of, wow. of applications, 49. So. Now app consolidation is happening. That's one component of it. We don't need 15 or 49 different project management tools. We need five that we really go in on across the business. A CIO will tell you that increases productivity across the business in a big way because you're using the same systems. They're integrated. You're talking to each other. So that, you know, just pure play consolidation is one, but then the other component is there is a hard requirement on value on defining that value and showing that value around every single renewal. Value in many ways right now ties to some form of financial metric in, in many cases. And so where applications aren't being leveraged, you don't need to pull back You know, 40% of the licenses that aren't being leveraged. You need to get rid of that application because it's not being used at scale inside your business. So you're not getting the value out of that application you need. So there are very much just pure play cuts that need to have versus nice to have is at the forefront. And pulling out applications that aren't meeting what was promised is a very real motion that most IT and uh, finance teams are going through right now as well.
0: Interesting. And at these renewals, like, are you expecting customer success teams to articulate the ROI, come with that prepared? Is that like a dynamic? You're seeing some do well, some fall behind.
1: Yeah, that's the expectation that we see our customers coming in with. What we see, so many many organizations, many SaaS companies are just not ready for that. They aren't built around a financially driven metric, and so many of those organizations are getting hit pretty hard. Other organizations, the customer success teams, they've pivoted in a way to prove out that value. Time savings, efficiency, could be cost reduction or optimization. Those companies are thriving because what we see, a huge shift in the buying of SaaS inside most organizations, is that now the CFO is an approver. CFOs have never truly been involved in a lot of, in most purchases at the software level across most businesses. If you've got the budget, you're gonna go buy the software you need. Now, it was felt like it was overnight, but in Q4 of last year, nearly every purchase and renewal now has to have the specific approval of the CFO for those to, to continue forward. So if you're going to the CFO and you don't have efficiency metrics, time savings metrics, financially driven metrics like that articulated as ROI, you're very vulnerable.
0: Interesting. That's great commentary. Yeah, And I think this translates into another part from your SaaS spend report. And something that I think particularly for investors and people not as close to the industry, kind of at an operational level. One thing that jumped out in the report was an overall utilization rate of these software tools of 56%, again, 56% utilization.
1: That's it. This is a metric that when we built the company, I didn't have a sense of scale for this number. And when I saw the first iteration of this we ran several years ago, I think the number was close to 40%. And I had our teams rerun the data several times over because I, it just didn't sound right to me. When you start to peel back the data and you look at these applications, you kind of see that some applications you've got that are core applications. Certainly, you know your web conferencing and your email solutions and things like that, uh, your your HR solution, probably your single sign-on, those are being leveraged because those have to be leveraged every single day for employees to do their job. Outside of that, you really find that unused licensing is a major theme across most applications that you are purchasing thinking you need every employee or a huge component of your staff to use those licenses when in reality, the number is much, much lower. So 44% of licenses not being utilized in a 30-day window is a really eye-opening metric. Now, if you start to look at that and say, well, maybe we want 60 or 90 days as a unused license metric, because then you really know you can pull that license back. You know, then you start to look at numbers still that are in the uh, the 30s and, and starting to get back to the 20s. But that is a massive amount of waste as well across every application in your business. 44% stuns me to this day. So I would agree with you there.
0: Okay. And are there any like trends where kind of just mainly for like an investor or an operator where this could change, where people could get more aggressive contracting seats or really try and attack that waste?
1: Yeah. You know, kind of on the upside and the downside there. You know, especially given the macro environment that we're in we see solutions you know most organizations certainly not all are looking to continue to grow revenue and they're looking to hold expenses burn flat and that's the that's given rise to the era of responsible growth and what we see is that there is still the ongoing investment and utilization of a lot of those sales tools. A lot of those tools that are driving revenue, that are building pipeline, that can't be sacrificed for organizations that still need to grow. So it could be a sales tool like an outreach or a sales loft. It's your engineering stack as well. So engineering tooling, engineers are still building. It's really the core to a lot of tech organizations. So a a, a tool like LaunchDarkly, uh, has wonderful, wonderful utilization as we look across our customers. Enterprise collaboration, maybe that kind of drifts into the have to have more than nice to have, but those are all on the rise. Then when you kind of take that next step down, what are the applications that are, we're seeing a lot of underutilized licensing. Right now at the highest level, I mentioned it earlier, is, is within project management. Well, mm-hmm. Project management, those are solutions that leaders of each department are wildly passionate about. They they leverage those tools because they do very specific things. They're built into the work stream of what those organizations are delivering. But when you look across those project management tools today, it's a function of the category being so distributed, but also because, you know, there's less employees that are collaborating on those types of projects. But... Project management tools tend to be a luxury in a need-to-have versus have-to-have environment. And you know, as such, we're seeing a lot of underutilized licensing, a lot of focusing on, on work in the systems that, that matter, and something that's more of a luxury is kind of secondary to the critical tools that have to be used each and every day. So I would say that those are some of the themes that we've seen as we look at really the last, you know, we look at a year's worth of data, but the last nine months have been incredibly telling, and that's where we see the biggest, the jump up or jump down down.
0: Interesting. And this is a good transition point for a, a devil's advocate, right? Mm-hmm. Is software generally tends to be a high ROI product, right? We've done some studies, 278% over 3 years, payback measured in months, and you could kind of think, well, even if we're not utilizing this to the fullest extent, from a high basis of ROI even on a net basis you know these are useful tools is it worth the pain of rooting out monday versus asana versus airtable and various project management tools like is that a good use of time
1: i would say no on the surface but the reality is that all of these tools have a high ROI and once you start proliferating your use of these tools and under utilizing some of these tools, you've now created fractions within your organization where collaboration becomes very, very difficult. This is the CIO use case where they say, if I have 25 different project management tools, that means everyone is working inefficiently. So if you can map out the ROI, that's fantastic. But you've been able to map out that ROI across all 15 applications that you're leveraging. So the the answer isn't cut, cut and get rid of it, and the ROI goes away entirely. The answer that we see in our customer segment is just streamlining. Moving to not to one application, but if you have 15 today, let's move down to five and let's bring those edge cases into a centralized strategy where people can talk, data can talk back and forth because you're leveraging similar systems and go all in on the ROI with the applications that are going to drive that. Because these ROI numbers are all configured, assuming that you're leveraging the software. So yep. get rid of the ones that aren't really being highly leveraged, bring those folks together and still drive the ROI, drive a higher ROI in a core set of project management applications. It's not cut every one of them and get rid of project management entirely.
0: OK, okay yeah, that's very helpful. And it sounds like a sensible approach. And I don't think anyone's going to recommend using 49 project <laughs> management <laughs> right, apps, right. which I'm impressed by Mind in many blind. ways where you know we map out categories. And 49 is a big number. Uh, So they found almost every project management app in the world. They did.
1: There's a lot of those out there, but yes, 49 of those. Now, this was a very large enterprise, but if you imagine 49 different solutions being leveraged, and this isn't like they spent $1,000 on 10 licenses. This is you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on each of these solutions. Boy, you've got a huge opportunity then to consolidate for sure, but how about raise the efficiency of all of your employees? How about standardize so that employees know what solution they should be using? And that's a big component that's missed is SAS sprawl and the employee experience need to be coming together today when an employee says, okay, we've got this new, this new org, this new delivery model, this new product that we're releasing. We need a project management solution. Where do they go? Today, that's nowhere. Maybe they talk to their friends in another organization, they go out to IT and IT says, well, we don't manage project management apps for the company, you guys have to manage that. So they all make their individual decisions without knowing that they're losing the efficiency across their organization. So giving a, a better employee experience to employees so they know what applications are in the environment that they can pull off the shelf and use right away, that's a that's a real motion that most CIOs are rolling out today and have rolled out over the last couple of years to to raise that level of visibility and information so the right decision is made upfront.
0: And is that type of solution directory part of your suite at Zylo?
1: Yes. Shameless, shameless plug. We, we refer to it as our application catalog. You know, when we okay. built the company, the the overwhelming feedback was you guys have all of our information, you know, every application we're using, how do we get this in front of employees in a way that allows them to understand what's available to be redirected to the apps that we want them to be requesting. And so we built our application catalog on top of our core product to be able to drive that experience.
0: Okay, very interesting, and kind of an emerging category and trend that I don't think there's a lot of visibility towards is this concept of SaaS negotiation services. Yes, which I know Zilo offers. Could you just dive a little deeper into how that category is evolving? What are the savings rates? Yeah, any other trends there for? someone who might not even know that exists.
1: Yeah, no problem. So SaaS Negotiation Services, to me, you know, I mentioned at the outset that I formerly was in procurement and finance. This is an absolute no-brainer. What has happened is 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you had 20 applications that you were renewing every year. So they were managed centrally in IT with finance teams and they were owning those negotiations. Now I shared the number, you have 300. If you're an average company, you have 300 applications. Large enterprises, you have 50 1,500 to 2,000 of these renewals that are happening every year. So it only makes sense that if you're asking everyone in the company to be their own purchaser of software and their own manager of software, then they have to execute the renewal. They have to execute all the operational processes around that, legal, InfoSec. And so you've created a lot more inefficiency across your company. You're having HR leaders and engineers negotiate pricing on agreements, which... The downstream impact then is you're really signing up for terms and pricing that are pretty isolated and probably not the best terms that you need to have in place. So when you look at this in aggregate, this is a lot of time commitment from the business. What that means is IT leaders or functional leaders are spending a large amount of their time driving negotiation. So our customers early in the business came to us and said, you know, you guys have the world's largest anonymized and aggregated data set. Come in with us and be able to put a fair pricing model in place as we execute all of these negotiations. Oh, and by the way, take ownership of these because I don't want my HR leader doing protracted contract negotiations with their software provider let's bring in expertise to drive that negotiation so that gave rise to uh, a segment of companies that have really been able to drive a lot of value there so whether they are pure play negotiation services companies or like a xylo where we have an our entire platform that discovers manages execute on optimization uh, workflow engines all of that we've got that platform and then we put the services on top for companies that need the bandwidth support right now that are looking at bottom line cost cost. cost reductions. Where are we overspending and how can we pull that back? So Zylo has a little bit of a different approach in this space in that, you know, we embed ourselves with our customers and become a part of their team, really extend our software to be able to then manage those negotiations as well but if you are you know trying to think that you're going to own every renewal with a skeleton team in your current organization that means the work's going everywhere else so negotiation services are providing a lot of value there from an overall cost perspective or or cost savings perspective you know there's there's various flavors but the ability for any negotiation on average to drive 20 to 30% reductions on new purchases as well as renewals that is very real so it's all about when we work with our customers let's get access to these let's build our our renewal calendar let's start to forecast these potential savings over the next four quarters let's remove all of this work from the business and let's deliver results at at the end of the year and xylo's chosen to do that in a very kind of embedded collaborative way where we actually sit with our teams, our customer teams, and help them through those processes. I think there are other flavors in the market that are more outsourced and you know more third party negotiation services. That's certainly one approach as well, but our approach is to really become part of our customer teams, help them manage their SaaS deployments, as well as then extend that out through their renewal negotiations. And are
0: there any categories where you know the vendors just flat out refuse to negotiate with a third party?
1: I've heard of this. I've heard of this in this segment quite a bit, you know, and I think it harkens a little bit to how you're building that organization going forward. You know, our model is really becoming part of our team. And so we are working directly with our customer team in a collaborative way to drive that negotiation. And so, for that, there's never been a single vendor that would say, Oh my gosh, no, you have another party that's a part of the table that's looking at driving this negotiation. You know, where you outsource it entirely to a third party that claims to be able to drive massive cost reductions and it's kind of a black box that owns the entire negotiation. Yes, I've heard from lots of vendors and I've heard that there are some that have have refused to to work with those partners. And that may be because it's removing the collaboration, it's removing the partnership, and it's removing the ability to really get close to their customer and really cutting them off at the knees and making it all about price. And so what we wanna make sure that we're doing as part of these services is leaving behind wonderful relationships, getting the best possible requirements, taking that to the vendor delivering win-win scenarios that when we're done, the customer is able to pick up and run in a really positive way. And what we've heard is with that outsourced, entirely outsourced approach, you're picking up a bit of a hot mess sometimes after that negotiation, because if your outsourced party is measured on savings, they're gonna get to those savings, but they're likely not going to leave a wonderful experience behind them, and that's left to the customer to then clean up. So I think it may sound nuanced, but how you're actually embedding and working with your Customers and delivering that to the market plays a very large role in the success of the service. Awesome,
0: that's great commentary. And then, a, probably a transition point mm-hmm. about you know waste and control and minimizing sprawl basically gets to an issue of like balancing governance and prudence with not frustrating your employees or creating bureaucracy just around decisions that are you know core part of someone's job, and they might be frustrated if someone is messing with kind of their daily workflows.
1: Yeah. So the way that we think about that here at Zylo is governance, you know, we, we've gone back and forth on the word governance. Is it governance? Is it empowerment? What, what really is it? And I, I feel strongly that governance is the right word here. And it's the right word because today there's a lack of governance, right? Everybody's a buyer. Everybody has freedom to, to do what they need to do. Many tech organizations three, four years ago said, you know, boy, we don't ever even question. Every employee can get whatever they need to do to do the best at their job, and that's our philosophy. Well, what we've seen is a a correction there, and you you can't overcorrect and start coming in and saying, we're cutting all of this, this out from underneath you. We refer to it quite often internally as freedom within a framework. So most of our customers, what we do is we provide the visibility into all of these applications that they didn't even know they had. That's number one. Usually we find two, three X, the amount of applications that an internal team believe they even had internally and the same on spend amounts. So then you're able to stratify all of your applications. And I've kind of referred to it. You have IT owned applications. That strategy there is not to get rid of those applications. You've got G Suite and Okta and all of those solutions running through the IT organization, your CRM. Those are all about driving productivity. Those are all about ensuring that you're adopting option is very high because the ROI on those applications is massive and they're owned by IT very tightly so you can do that the middle segment of applications those are your line of business apps that's marketing going out and buying a marketing application that requires a different level of governance than your IT organization. Probably governance, meaning, you know, a software review board that's executed once a month or something something along those lines where better visibility into the rest of the organization in your tech stack and an approval process allows those functional stakeholders to still get the applications they need, but avoid those big missteps where they're buying the 49th project management tool as opposed to using the forty eighth that are already in place. And then the last component is individual purchases or expensed purchases or the dreaded shadow IT that requires an entirely different level of governance. That is, you know, auditing those purchases. What we see is in in most organizations, you know, a company might have an agreement with Adobe, an ELA with Adobe, and they have 50 users that are buying their own Adobe tools on their credit cards. So you aggregate those together, you do the smart thing and bring everybody together on a corporate contract. You look at the proliferation of tooling through that expense channel that you look to bring into those approved channels. And so that's a different layer of visibility and governance you put over that. And then I would say the final layer of governance is then around all of those free products they're using, those products that will become an expense over the course of the next one, two, three years. And that's a monitoring process where you're looking at, you know, user adoption before those applications become costs, you know, on a corporate agreement. And that's more of a monitor than you know, go out and govern and change that behavior because you still want employees to be able to find those solutions, a lot of them being PLG solutions now these days. You need to know about them, maybe not action on them, but be ready for them. So governance now around SaaS, because of how distributed it is, is really kind of categorized inside your company among those four channels. It's IT enterprise owned, line of business, Mm -hmm. expensed, and then freemium products.
0: Awesome answer. And diving deeper on one aspect of that, let's use the Adobe 50 users outside the ELA enterprise licensing agreement because they're doing it through their own credit cards. What's the savings available to the organization when you bring those 50 under the ELA?
1: Not much, what a great question, not much. You know, what are you gonna save $100 and you're gonna bring it into your ELA and pay $80 for it? Is the level of effort there even really worth it? I would argue probably not. But this is where governance comes into play, because those are your riskiest purchases to your company that exist. Because what is happening is you go out to Adobe's website, you swipe your credit card, which agrees to click wrap terms, and then you are immediately putting company information in that app, full stop, no matter what Mm -hmm. you're doing, you're buying it for your work and you're immediately putting any level of company information in there. But usually you're loading in specific PII information or company related data. So when we talk about governance, really governance helps drive ongoing you know, cost optimization. But governance is really about securing your four walls and making sure that you aren't putting the business at risk. When we go live with a customer, those are the shocking purchases that open a lot of eyes and it's usually one of the first motions that our customers take is, okay, we have an expense problem. We have 200 applications and we're spending a quarter of a million dollars or 500,000 or a million or two on shadow IT and this is all risk. So the quick work to move those into corporate governed agreements that have been negotiated by legal teams under pricing terms is a first motion that cleans up a lot of that high risk urgent type of action. So you're not going to save a ton of money on it, but you are absolutely going to be able to, to secure your company and protect yourself against you know any solution and any click wrap term that you're signing up for.
0: That's a fascinating point that yes, I think any user just clicks through whatever is in the terms and conditions. Right. I've, never ever really read them even when we make (laughs) kind of important decisions here we're very small business i'm not diving deep into what i i've agreed to with active campaign and they very well could do anything with my customer information that's right
1: and if you're not on the DPA, you're not on the subprocessor list and company information is stored in those applications, you're in breach of every one of your, not you, the royal you, you know, the customer you. You are putting your company at risk that if there's a breach in any of those solutions and it comes back to that, you have created that risk inside your organization. So it happens in every company. It's always a surprise and one that gets cleaned up pretty quickly, but yeah, there's risk there.
0: Uh, so many moving parts in all these situations <laughs> right. we always like to have something actionable and tactical for you know our listeners and Xylo's obviously done well you know you're a founder there what are some of your best interview questions and like how do you identify high performers
1: yeah that's a that's a really good one you know i i'm a bit of, i reject a little bit of the stereotypical interview process tell me about a time when tell me about a time when i don't really get a lot of that what i look for out of anyone that i'm interviewing and it sounds so simple but how can they break down and articulate a complex scenario not one that they come in with, not one that they've done at a previous job and they practiced in the mirror the day of, but give them a complex scenario and think about and watch how they think about it and then how they walk through it. And so, if they're able to articulate themselves in a very detailed and granular way—not just answer the question, but be very articulate—that's number one. Number two is energy and passion. And sure, there's probably a little bit of "I manage the customer experience, so I I want people that are engaging." But if you have somebody that is wildly passionate about the problem you're solving, and they can break down and articulate themselves incredibly well in a pressure-packed situation to a leader that is looking at whether or not they want to hire them, you know, they've got the experience. That's that's probably on. The resume and why they came in to speak with you those two traits can identify high performers at a much more rapid pace than tell me about a time when you did what this job description calls for so those are the two things that i'm always looking for no matter what as soon as the lights go on in any interview that's a great answer
0: and i think we're at the end of the show this has been great and in in terms of our show notes, we will include the Zylo report, but for listeners, where can they find you? Where can they find Zylo? Yeah. Just anything you want to recommend.
1: Yeah. Find Zylo at Zylo.com. Find me out there. I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Corey Wheeler at Zylo is on LinkedIn. I would say Twitter as well. I've got a, a little bit of content out there. Also, you know, Turnabout here. We've got a wonderful podcast that we do that I run with our CMO here at Zylo called Sass Me Unfiltered. You can find that on Spotify a customer. And wherever else uh, podcasts are hosted, I love kind of saying that. Usually when people have to say what what platform they're on, they list out the 10 platforms. I love just being able to say, go find it on Spotify. And if you have to look elsewhere, but I'd love for everybody to check that out.
0: Well, that's like a true customer (laughs) success answer. You got Spotify as a question and You're building out their podcast platform for them, and what do you guys cover on that show?
1: So, really, it began as you know talking with our customers that are knee deep in SaaS management every day, really hearing their stories from the trenches about how they were building and changing the direction inside their organizations. It's really now morphed into you know adding in industry perspectives, adding in industry luminaries, you know folks that that really understand those macro trends. We'll be recording with Nick Meta here real soon. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah. yeah. so I, I. the fanboy in me is geeking out about it. But then, you know, kind of cross-referencing those those user stories with what's happening at at the aggregate level. We've really created a podcast that's a little bit broader and a lot more enticing for for those folks that are looking, you know, right now, CIOs, CFOs are saying cut cut budgets. And folks have a tough time of figuring out how to do that. So for professionals, IT, SAM, and procurement and finance, you know, you can find us out there at SaaS Me Unfiltered. It's a fun listen.
0: Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Thank you. Just the Spotify link, I guess. Only. That's right. (laughs) Okay. We'll do that.
1: Any link is wonderful.
0: Well, this has been awesome. Really appreciate you being on. And uh, thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a fun time.